It's kind of weird not leaving the stage right now. But um, as you guys heard earlier, the, the other pastors are out at the men's retreat um, up at Silver Spurs. We'll be praying for them that they have a good time. I think they come back home today, so I'll also be praying for safe travels. But um, that is the reason you guys get to listen to me this morning. So there you go. Um, there's a couple things I wanted to make sure to mention. First off, I'm extra thankful for, I'm always thankful for the worship team. Uh, they help uh, cover up any mistakes of mine. But uh, I'm extra thankful when they step up a little bit more. And since, as you guys probably noticed, I hardly did any singing. Uh, I wasn't totally slacking. I do preach now. But um, I'm extra thankful for them this morning. Uh, and I also wanted to make sure you guys knew, in case you didn't notice her shirt, that lets you know that it is, in fact, Jill Devine's birthday this morning. She's 29 again, um, so make sure you wish her a happy birthday before you leave. So we're going to be opening up our Bibles to Galatians chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. As a lot of you know, um, we've been going through Galatians for a little while now, and you probably already noticed that when you go through a book exegetically, just meaning verse by verse, preaching through an entire book, there's going to be certain things that kind of reappear, themes and topics that we're going to be talking about a lot. And so there's going to be certain things we talk about this morning that we have already discussed a little bit. We're going to be looking at um, the fact that Paul is still talking about his credibility with those who he's writing this letter to. There's been a lot of criticism of him so far, people looking at him and saying, you didn't, you didn't walk around with Jesus like these other apostles in the early church did, so why should we take you seriously? Why should we respect you <clears throat> like we respect them? So we're going to be seeing that again. We're also going to be seeing that he once again points to the fact that he's preaching the same gospel as these other guys. It's not like he's going around saying something different. Um, so these are just a couple of the things we're going to be looking at today that we have already talked about, but Paul kind of goes in more depth as we get into Galatians more. So let's go ahead and let's read together from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. Galatians. Did I say Ephesians? Sorry, we're doing that with the, the youth group. <clears throat> All right. And from those who seem to be influential, what they are makes no difference to me. God shows no, no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Let's go ahead and pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you. For all that you teach us uh, as we study together, I uh, thank you for the opportunity to, to look at your word every Sunday morning, and, and hopefully uh, the rest of us don't just let it be a Sunday morning thing, that we, don't, uh, that we take advantage of the fact that we all have access to what you've left for us. Uh, I just pray that this morning that we would, we would look to your word, that if there's anything that would possibly get in the way of your truth, that you'd eliminate that from what I'm about to say. Uh, just... I just pray that you'd be with those men who are at the retreat, help them to have a great time and, and learn more about you and grow closer to each other, but also help them to come home safely so we can hear about how the experience was. God, we ask this in your name. Amen. Now, I know this is probably going to surprise some of you. 
but I have been accused of being sarcastic at times. Um, I know, I'm, I'm surprised too when it happens. Uh, but when you look at verse 6, there's a lot of people that think that's exactly what Paul's doing. They think he's kind of coming across a little sassy or sarcastic. And if you look at that, he, he makes it clear, those who seemed influential. And so if you're just looking at that verse, I can understand where you're coming from um, in thinking that way. And especially when you look at that word that uh, is influential, that's often just translated to something. So they appear to be something, appear to be important in some way. But if you're looking at the context of where this verse falls, that doesn't really make sense. Um, it doesn't seem like he's trying to make a dig at these guys or anything. And, and so the first thing that's important to look at is, well, who is he talking about? We, we need to look at what, who are these men that he's saying seem to be influential. And so if you look to verses 4 and 5, uh, so right before this passage, he's talking about false brothers. So Nick talked about them last week. These guys who um, seemed like they were believers, but they were in the church and, and teaching false doctrine and, and trying to push, um, push different uh, agendas of theirs. And, and a lot of these were the same criticism, like the people criticizing him uh, about his credibility. And Paul also talked about them. He called them Judaizers. So a lot of these people... This is who verse 4 and 5 are talking about, but he's moved on to someone else in verse 6. That's not who he's talking about here. He actually lets us know further down in the passage we just read who he is talking about. And he's, he says, so Peter, even though, so you'll notice in your text it says Cephas. We've already talked about that. Nick mentioned that is Peter. It's just another name he went by. So Peter, James, and John. And he calls them pillars of the faith. And so um, when we're looking at this first part here, Paul is talking about the apostles. It's not like he's, he doesn't really have a reason to bash the other apostles. And so it wouldn't really make sense for that to be the way he's coming across here. Um, these, these early men, the, even the Judaizers, look to these apostles and recognize that they're preaching the gospel. And so I, I don't think he's trying to demean that, but that's why he's saying they seem to be important because he recognized you guys see them as important too. Like, so even these guys who you see as important is what he's trying to say. He's once again trying to build up that credibility. He's showing, look, I'm on the same level as these guys. They're, and both Nick and Paul have talked about in previous verses in the letter that Paul is pointing to the fact not only the reason they're equals and, and they're all apostles is they're preaching the same message. It's not like these men have some kind of stature that's just on their own. The reason they have the credibility they do is God's given them that authority to go preach um, his word in truth. It's the gospel that gives them that authority. Uh, in, in Galatians 1.11, it says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. It's not like they made that gospel up, and so they're the ones that have the authority because of it. Any authority they have is because God gave it to them. And so, like I said, this is he's really trying to put himself on that same level as these Judaizers view these other guys. But he's also, he's trying to show, like, don't, don't look at these guys and put them on a pedestal or anything. Yeah, it's, they're doing great work for the Lord, but they're still men. It's God that should be the focus. It's the gospel that should be the focus, not a person talking about the gospel. They need to be listening to their message and not just looking at this stature that they, they view them with. And when you look through another part of this verse, as you continue on in that same verse 6, you see it reinforced that God really doesn't care about 
a person's stature or their, how they come across to those around them. Um, there's a part that says God shows no partiality, which is kind of a weird add-in, you might think, like God doesn't have favoritism is in other translations. And that word partiality is often, when you look at the root of that word, it normally has to do with appearance. So it's like how they come across, how they look. And when you look throughout the Old Testament, throughout Scripture in general, you see God really doesn't have some kind of, like he doesn't care about the outward appearance. Um, I immediately thought to uh, the Old Testament when David was selected as king. You have Samuel being told, hey, you're going to go appoint the next king of Israel. I've already picked this person. It'll be clear to you. And so he goes to Jesse's sons, or he goes to Jesse and says, hey, get your sons here so I could pick one of these sons to be king. And when Jesse brings his sons in, David's an afterthought. He's not even there the first time because he's the youngest. He's kind of scrawny still. Like they, they, he's just not viewed in the same way as his other sons at this point. And so Samuel says, I, these aren't them. And so David eventually, he says, well, I have my other son watching the sheep. And that's who is picked as king. And when you look at 1 Samuel 16, 7, you see the Lord telling Samuel, do not look at outward appearance because God looks at the heart. And you can even look in the New Testament. Look at who Jesus entered the world through. Mary, there wasn't anything special about Mary's stature in society. She was an ordinary woman as far as we can tell. And even look at who his, I guess, stepdad was, Joseph. He, he was a carpenter. It's not like he was some royalty or anything. And so when you think about that, God really... He, you probably heard the saying that he qualifies the called. God's the one who gives these people their authority and gives them the status. It's, it's not really their status to have. It's more of a role God allows them to be in. And so all that to say that it's God who gives the person authority. It's not the person themselves. The only reason they have that authority is they're preaching the truth. And so when you come to the last part of verse 6, um, it, once again, you, say, you see the phrase, who seemed influential. But this part's kind of harder to, when you first look at it, who seemed influential added nothing to me. So that kind of sounds like, okay, we're back to where it could almost sound like he's insulting these guys. But again, I, I don't see that being the case. He's really reinforcing the fact that they preach the same gospel. One of the biggest complaints he received is the authority that he, these men were on a pedestal. And so he's saying, look, we're preaching the same thing. When he says that it added nothing to me, he's saying his message did not need to be edited. It's not like he went to them, told them what his gospel was, and they said, oh, actually, Paul, you got that part wrong. You're going to need to rework that part a bit if you want to be on the same page as us. He's saying, we were on the same page. We're preaching the same thing, and they acknowledge that. Now, when you think about that he's saying, so they acknowledge him, they, they recognize that he's an equal of theirs, it clearly is referencing some kind of meeting Paul had with these early leaders in the church with these pillars of the faith. And many people point to, in Acts, there's a lot of different councils that you see in Jerusalem where, where the leaders in the early church all come together to talk about um, theological issues they're already having, um, a lot of it around Gentiles in the church. But there's also people that point to, well, th those are recorded about, and you don't really see some of these topics like blatantly being said. Like It's not, you can point to, oh yeah, they're saying the exact same thing. So either way, what's made clear is he met with the people in the early church. He met with these leaders. It really doesn't make sense for him to meet with those leaders if they weren't preaching the same thing. And the fact that they 
had him in those meetings, they recognize, yeah, you should be here. You're one of us. Once again, points to the fact that he's respected by these leaders by the fact that he's even there. They look at him as a brother in Christ and as a leader. And in this verse, we see him focusing on the fact that, so it's, it's kind of like a back and forth. He's pointing to the fact they're just men. So he's, he's trying to like lower them a little bit because people are kind of looking at them too highly. It's, they're men. They're preaching. Like I said, it's God's authority that he's put on them. That's why they're in the position they are. But he's also like reinforcing we're preaching the same thing. So it, it doesn't make sense he'd bash them. But he's also making sure they have a right view of these men. It's the gospel that has the power. It's not just these men on their own. And so then we go on to verses 7 and 8. They go on to say that, On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. So first off, he's kind of continuing on the same thoughts we've already been talking about. He's showing, look, they preach the same gospel. They may have a different primary audience, but the message remains the same. And you see in verse 8, he once again, he's putting himself on the same level by pointing out it's the same spirit that they're empowered with to go share the gospel. Peter's empowered by the spirit. I'm empowered by that spirit too. And so he's once again, he's putting them on the same level. They're empowered by the same spirit to share the same gospel. It's not like one of them's preaching a different version of it or anything. They're saying the same thing. Their target audience is just a little different. Now, when we look at these verses, um, we need to look at what they're actually saying. Peter states that he has been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, and Peter has been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. But we need to make sure that we remember it's, it's not a different gospel. Galatians 1, 6-7 says, and, and we talked about this not too long ago. It says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And we can also look to Romans 1.16, where it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So it's, it's not... He doesn't say a different gospel is being taught to the Jews first, and then they, they come up with a different one for the Gentiles. They're getting the same message. Both Jews and Greeks are being taught the same gospel. Now, there are some that look at this verse and point to and, and try to say, oh, well, clearly it's a different gospel, because look, why would they make that distinction if not? Well, all of Scripture makes it clear what the gospel is. From the beginning... You see, um, from Genesis, you see man was created by God. You see everything's good, and then man falls. Man sins and messes up. And so then, they, I mean, they went against what God had told them to do. They owed a debt that they couldn't pay. God kicks them out of the garden. But what you also see is God continually initiating that relationship throughout the Old Testament. The Israelites gave him plenty of reasons to want nothing to do with them. They would go... They would turn their back on him. He would kind of, I guess you could say, lay the smack down a little bit, kind of punish them for what they'd done. And then they'd come back, oh, we're so sorry. I can't believe we did that. And they'd worship him. And then they'd fall like a chapter later. And I mean, you see that throughout. God had plenty of reason to want nothing to do with them. And we can point to them and say, yeah, what, are, what's, what is their deal? How could they do that when, I mean, they saw Moses part the Red Sea 
But we see God do incredible things all the time, and we do the exact same thing. So we can't really point the finger. But what you see is, so God initiating, and then God did what we couldn't. He came to earth in the form of a man. He was fully God and fully man. He lived the perfect life. He didn't sin. He was tempted, but he still did not sin. And then he died on a cross because we see in Scripture the penalty of sin is death. He died that death for us, and it is only by grace alone through faith alone that we can be saved. That's the gospel. And that's what all of these men are sharing, these, these uh, pillars in the church and Paul. They're sharing that same thing. We need that forgiveness he offers. And when we come to recognize God's urging is when we recognize how, how desperately we truly need him. And every person does need him. And it is only through Jesus Christ alone that we are saved. And so this message, it's not only true for, for Jews or Gentiles. And you can say, people point and say, well, you know, the Israelites are often called God's chosen people in the Old Testament. They were chosen to show him to the world. It was not like... God randomly decided, yeah, I guess I'll allow the Gentiles in on this. They, he knew from the beginning, there, if you look in the Old Testament, there's plenty of people who weren't Jews that still worshipped God and acknowledged who God was. And so it, they were always, he was always a global-minded God. It's not like that was something that changed in him. He always had the intention of Gentiles being a part of his people. And all of Scripture makes that clear that every people group needs Jesus. The fact that these men preach the same gospel is also reinforced by the fact that these men in the early church would meet together. And I kind of mentioned that earlier. But, I mean, we see meetings in the book of Acts. It really doesn't make sense for Paul to meet with them if they were preaching something different. And so we can see that they're on the same page. There's also something else worth pointing out when you look at these verses. Because um, there are people that point to, well, so what if... a uh, a Jewish person came up to Paul, would he just not share the gospel with them? He's been entrusted with the gospel to the Gentiles, but does that mean he can't preach to the Jews? Or can Peter, what about Peter? Does that mean he isn't going to preach to the Gentiles at all? And there's plenty of scripture that shows that's just not the case. It's not like they were exclusively, like Paul would say, sorry, I can't talk to you. You're, you're, you're not a Gentile. I, I got to share the gospel with someone like that's a Gentile. He'd, and you can look in the different examples um, even though Peter's emphasis is on the Jews, you see that he did preach to the Gentiles. In Acts 10, you see Peter sharing the gospel with a man named Cornelius. Cornelius was not a Jew. He was a Gentile man. Um, they both, both of these men cared about sharing the gospel with everyone. You look at Paul. One of his strategies that he'd do when he would go into a town, the first place he'd preach was the synagogue. That's where the Jews met. So he would preach to them, and then from there, spread out into the rest of the city. So, and there's plenty of examples of where both Peter and Paul do preach to Gentiles and Jews. They, but when we look at these verses, it's easy. Some might ask, well, what's the point of this emphasis then? Why are we even clarifying who they're preaching to? It doesn't make sense. Why not just say they preach the gospel? But what Paul's doing is he's giving us insight on the mission strategy of the early church. This doesn't, like I've been saying, this was their main strategy. Their, their primary target audience, Paul's was the Gentiles, Peter's was the Jews. And there's a lot of different seminary classes, Bible classes, um, 
on evangelism, mission strategies, early church. I actually took one called Paul's Mission Strategies. It was all looking at his ministry because when you look at how quickly he was able to spread the gospel and plant churches, it's like insane how, how much he got done in the time he did. And obviously, it's God doing that through him. It's not like Paul was doing that. That would go against what I said earlier. But um, every church ministry today has, or every church or ministry has some kind of mission strategy, whether they're aware of that or not. And obviously, we, we can't look at exactly how Paul did things in our church. He moved around all the time. So, I mean, it was also about he was establishing churches and planting them. But we can look to certain things about how the early church did it. And that's what these classes, that's the point. They're trying to look and see how did the early church do things because that's the earliest back we can go. And it is important for us to learn from them and what was successful in sharing the gospel. And so once again, I want to make it clear. The gospel is the focus of these mission strategies. The whole point, the reason they laid these things out is because they wanted to make it clear like this is how they were going to most effectively share the gospel. And so there's certain points that we can really take from them uh, and look at how we do ministry as well. And first off is that they gathered together and discussed to be on the same page. They had a meeting, made sure that they weren't going to be like conflicting each other. Um, that could mean, yeah, there were false teachers in the early church, so there were false ideas. They'd come together to talk about those things, make sure, look, this is what our scriptures say. They didn't have like a... An, Old Testament or like a Bible like we do today, but they had scriptures, and so they knew what was in them. They made sure to gather together and talk about what Jesus had said, um, what he had commanded them. They, they came together and talked and made sure that it wasn't, there wasn't going to be disagreements, because that would not reflect well on the early church if they're out spreading the gospel, and all of a sudden they realize they're sharing different things. That would do the opposite effect of what they wanted to do. The fact that they met and discussed also shows that they prepared they didn't blindly go out, just share the gospel and, and, and do their best. They studied up on God's word. They met together and discussed things to make sure that they understand it well. And I think number the, one of the number one excuses that I hear on a regular basis for people who, oh, I, I'm not comfortable sharing my faith. There's people that do a better job than me at that. I don't feel like I word it well. Like I, I know what I believe, but I can't, like when I'm explaining it, I don't do a very good job. So I'm going to leave that to someone else. Um, I actually, I've seen an evangelism program, so something that's meant to be great, and what people kind of turned it into was, oh, well, um, you guys should go visit my neighbor. Um, they, I think they really need to hear the gospel. Why don't you go share the gospel with your neighbor then? <laughs> um, we need to prepare. If, if you don't feel like you can adequately explain the gospel, study God's word and work at that. That's something that every believer should do. And I've, I've heard plenty of people, well, I'm, I don't have the gift of evangelism, so I'll let someone that has that gift do it. But Scripture makes it pretty clear, all believers are meant to share the gospel. It's not like just some people are meant, oh, those are the people that will share the gospel. We all just sit and like cheer them on on Sunday mornings or focus groups or whatever. We're all supposed to do that. And everyone, yeah, everyone does have different giftings. You can use your gifts to share the gospel too. It may not, you may not feel like it's just getting to the gospel quickly in a conversation. That's okay. Practice at that though. Um, one of my classes, it was kind of an interesting um, way of going about it. It was an evangelism class. And the first thing they told us was, 
you need to share the gospel. Don't emphasize church too much. Like, obviously, church is a great thing, but if you emphasize church more than the gospel, someone might get the wrong idea that it's the church that saves and not the gospel. So specified that. But he also said, you have, I think it was two or three minutes to do it. And that, was, that included your testimony, too. So you're, I mean, that doesn't give you much time, but it was good practice because it made me realize all the stuff I had in there that, I mean, it's not bad, but if I'm, if I'm in a time crunch and depending on who I'm sharing the gospel with, I might be, it doesn't make sense to add some of those things. So if, if you're struggling with, with sharing your faith, the first place you should turn is God's word. Study God's word so you can better uh, articulate the truths that we see there. It's also important that you pray about it. Be praying that God not only will give you opportunities, but give you the courage to share the gospel when that chance comes. And I think a lot of times we choose to ignore those chances more often than not. I've heard plenty of times where someone, uh, a friend of mine was at Yosemite, heard this person saying, man, I was up, by, I don't remember where they had hiked, but they were up looking down on the valley and man, I can't explain what I felt up there. And this person was thinking, oh, you, like, it's general revelation. It's, it's God. Like, it, creation screams about who God is. But that person didn't speak up. It, but they like, felt sick to their stomach as they sat there realizing that person had no idea what it was they were experiencing. And so we need to make sure we're going to jump on those opportunities because they're there. We just have to pay attention to them. Another place you can go is talk to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Have them help you get better. If you feel like, hey, that guy's really good at sharing his faith, go ask him or her what they do that leads them to, be, to effectively share the gospel the way they do. You can learn from the people around you in church, whether that's in focus group or just someone that you see that you think does a great job at that. So my challenge to you is if, if that's you, if you for a long time said, oh, I don't feel like I'm not a people person, like I, I don't feel like I, I word things well, don't just stay in that spot. Study God's word and, and try to get out. And I'm not saying like overnight, the second you study God's word, you're going to be like, hey, I'm confident I can do it. It's, it's going to take time, but it's worth it because that's what we're commanded to do. So don't just say, I'll look into the, oh, another important thing. Another uh, area that people get afraid of is, well, I can share the gospel. I got that down. But what if they have a question I don't know how to answer? I don't want to fall into that. Like, I, I don't want to look dumb when I'm trying to explain what I believe and I can't explain something. What I found is, first off, no one knows every answer. Nick doesn't, Paul doesn't, and they'll admit that. Um, but we need to be confident that, first off, they'll know we're not going to know every single answer. We need to admit when we don't. Don't just try to make something up when they ask you a question that you don't know, because they're going to see through that. But you need to go to them and say, you know what? I'll, I want to look in God's word a little bit more on that. So I'll come back to you and, and, and um, once I study up on that a little bit more. Now, don't just let it end there. Because it's easy to say, oh, yeah, we'll talk about it another time. I'll study up. And then, yeah, we'll talk about it like next time. And then just hope they forget about it because so you, you forgot to look it up. Make sure you go look it up. Make sure you bring that conversation back, too. Don't just expect them to bring it up. You should be the one to initiate that. So we should, like I've been saying, we need to equip ourselves with God's word to be able to share it with those that we come in contact with. And preparation is a key to that. We need to be prepared. The last point about that um, and about their strategies that we see pretty often is they knew their audience. 
They knew who they were talking to. Uh, both of these men knew the beliefs of the groups they were preaching, and, and they focused on how those beliefs either went against the gospel or pointed to the gospel. Now, I, I want to be clear. I'm not saying they preached a different gospel. They preached the same gospel in different ways because they recognized who they were speaking to. And I, I'm going to point to examples in Scripture that we see. In, in Acts chapter 13, Paul is in a synagogue, so he's with the Jews, and he's in Antioch. And when he begins preaching in the synagogue, he's pointing to Old Testament scriptures, to all these figures that they would know about, Abraham. He's pointing to them and pointing at how Christ fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies. But he's pointing to this heritage that they all have and they all recognize. If he went to a group of Gentiles and tried pointing to the law right away, they don't know what the law is. They, a lot of them had never heard of it. And so what you see in um, Acts 17 is you see a different example of Paul preaching. He's preaching to Gentiles. And he sees all these idols set up as he's walking into town and they'll, they'll say God's different things. And then he sees one that says to the unknown God. And he looks at that and then he preaches to them and says, I'm going to tell you about the unknown God that you guys don't know. And, and he goes in to share the gospel about what Jesus did for them that they might have a relationship with God and not have to suffer eternal separation from Him. So he once again, he's pointing to, they, they acknowledge there's an un, at least an unknown God. He's pointing to the fact that He is the God. There isn't like He's one God, He is the God. So it's the same, He's preaching the same thing, but He's having to focus on different aspects of the gospel because of who He's talking to. And I this is true of us today as well. If you go uh, and you're sharing the gospel with someone who says they're, they are Mormon versus someone who says, I'm agnostic or atheist, you're going to have to go about it in a different way. A Mormon person is going to tell you, I'm a Christian already. But they have an extra book of what they call scripture that we recognize only the Bible is God's word. Only the Bible is Scripture. And so you're going to have to point to certain things that don't add up with what they believe. When you're talking to someone who's an atheist or an agnostic, you're going to have to point to all the examples that we see around us that prove there's a God in, in the first place because they're not there yet. And so you're going to have to go about it in a different way. This doesn't mean you like conform to some belief of theirs and build off of some like false idea and try to turn the gospel into something like, that's not what I'm saying at all. But based on where that person's at, you're going to have to start in a different place. It could, it could even be as simple as someone who's heard the gospel before and someone who hasn't. That person's going to have a little bit of a better idea of what you're sharing with. So you can ask them more about questions. And so this doesn't mean we conform to culture. It means that, that we look at the culture and try to see how we could better witness to them better and more effectively share the gospel with them. And the topic of evangelism or church strategy is something that, I mean, we could spend a long time discussing. Um, and in case it has not been clear enough, all of these strategies point to the gospel. It's not like these things in themselves are what makes it a success. It's, the gospel is what drives ministry. But these are just ways we try to try to be most effective at sharing the gospel. Now, earlier I said that every church or ministry has a mission strategy. So obviously, 
we're at First Family Church. We should probably talk about ours. Um, I, I think when you look at First Family, we are absolutely involved. We are globally minded because God is globally minded. We have sent plenty of people on mission trips to Haiti. We partner with different ministries there as well. We have a partnership with the Kenyan Evangelical Mission. There's, there's plenty of other areas we, we give and support um, all around the globe to show that the gospel we care and we recognize that God is global-minded. But we also recognize that God placed us here in Antioch, California for a reason. This is our main mission field. And so when you look at the different ministries we have, we recognize Antioch, there's a work in kind of a lower-income neighborhood. And so we have ministries like the food pantry, the homeless ministry, these things to, to meet not just physical needs, but we hope to meet their spiritual needs as well. We also, and, and be praying that we can get Kids Club started up soon, but we've been doing Kids Club at the elementary school down the street from us. And that's not to say that those are the only kids we hope to reach with the gospel. We want to reach any kid with the gospel, but there are neighbors down the street, and so we focus a ministry uh, to sharing the gospel with those kids, and, and not just the kids either. We try to build relationships with their families as well and, and share the gospel in that way because they're in our community. We feel that this, God has us here for a reason. We need to be sharing the gospel to those around us. And when you look at Paul and Peter, these other church leaders of that time recognized how having a strategy would help them more effectively share the gospel. And they supported each other as equals in this. When you look at verse 9, it says they gave the right hand of fellowship. That's a sign of unity and friendship. They recognized they were on the same page. They're brothers in Christ. Um, regardless of who they were primarily trying to share the gospel with, they were on the same team. They would support each other in any way they could. They were still a unified group. And I think that's important for us to think about too. First Family Church is great. We have brothers and sisters in Christ in this room right now and that will be here in second service. But there are other churches that share the gospel and truth that are our brothers and sisters as well. Um, it's something that I, it would be cool to see at some point there be more connection between churches. Obviously, with our denomination, we have different relationships. But the church as a whole, if we had more connections, um, it would be great to see. But regardless, we should be supporting them. We should be praying for those other churches, praying that, that they speak the truth, that they win souls for the Lord, that, they, that they're successful in ministry. I remember uh, growing up in Livermore, uh, anytime like families left the church, it was always sad. And, and we had, we had cornerstone like down the street from us, huge church. That's where a lot of the people ended up. And we'd always kind of be like, Oh, they're at cornerstone. Well, cornerstone preaches the gospel and truth. We shouldn't have had that attitude of, oh, they, they're, you know, taking people from us. We should be glad that they're doing successful ministry in places like that. And so th that's the mentality we should have. We're unified with our brothers and sisters in Christ. When we look at this last verse in this passage, at first glance, it looks like it doesn't belong there. Out of your, we've been talking about sharing the gospel, talking about Jews and Gentiles, and all of a sudden he just says, they, they also asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. And if you turn to Acts 11, verses 27 to 30, Nick actually pointed to this, I think it was even last week. You see Saul, so Paul, um, and Barnabas, delivered an offering from Antioch that had been taken up to help their brothers and sisters in Christ in the Jerusalem church. 
The Gentile believers were helping their brothers and sisters in Christ who had a need. And if you read before um, verse 27, what you see is there was a famine going on in Jerusalem. So these families desperately needed physical, they had physical needs. And so you see the early church already stepping up for their brothers and sisters in Christ in another place. Besides Paul, and I mean, Paul traveled around, you don't necessarily see the entire church traveling around. So they probably didn't really know a lot of the people in Jerusalem in the first place, but they recognized these were their brothers and sisters in Christ. And as I pointed out, this was in Antioch, primarily Gentiles. And so these men recognized they had a need in Jerusalem. It was also, especially in the early church, there was a lot of persecution going on. Jesus obviously was put to death on the cross and then ascended into heaven. The disciples had to face persecution after that. And there's plenty of examples where you see that happening. Paul, there's a lot of times where he's chased out of town. He was getting stoned by people. They were throwing rocks at him to try and hurt him and cause him physical harm. And so these Gentile believers saw that their brothers and sisters were hurting, and they did what they could to try and help them. Now, obviously, that, that could look different. Financial help is great. Churches in financial need, that absolutely is important, and we should be trying to see how we can help them. And a lot of these uh, different ministries that we support in Haiti or um, in Kenya, those are, their main goal is to plant churches or to, or to share the gospel with those around them. So in, in that respect, we're doing that in some places. We're helping them fund to be able to to um, plant churches and share the gospel in that way. But we could also just simply be praying for them. There's persecution today as well. It's not like that's something that's disappeared and Christians don't have to worry about. In other countries around the world, persecution is still a huge problem. The very least we can do is pray for them to have courage, pray for them that they would still share the gospel, that they would feel a comfort that only God can give them. Because a lot of times it would be a scary thing to be in a country where you're being hunted down for your religious beliefs. So we need to look out for churches not just in our neighboring cities, which I think is something we should do. There's been plenty of fires and things around California. We could try to look into how to help these churches that some of them lost their building, or whether it's hurricanes. There's plenty of things in our nation that have affected the church and that we should be looking at how we can help our brothers and sisters in that way. And my hope and prayer is that as a church family, we'd continually be unified in the gospel. That's what unifies us with all these other churches. It's the gospel, the fact that we share the same message and we have a relationship with the same God. That we would continually learn how we can better and more effectively share our faith through studying the word, through, um, through challenging each other and, and spurring on conversations. Um, just through, I mean, it could be reading books about how to share your faith better. There's so many resources that we could take advantage of. But we also need to care for those who have a need. And I don't, don't mishear me when I say, so the poor he's talking about in that verse is talking about the church. It's talking about those in the church that are struggling. But that doesn't mean we just ignore the poor that aren't in the church. We have food pantry and homeless ministry. Those aren't just, it's not like we go up to people, oh, are you a Christian? Oh, okay, then we'll help you. We still meet the needs of those around us and, and try to help anyone who is struggling. But there is a certain emphasis made in Scripture on looking out for our brothers and sisters as well. And there are people in this church who are struggling financially. That's a reality that we're in. There's, that's going to be in every church. And as, as uh, shepherds, the elders do look out for 
how we can better minister to people. And one way of doing that is recognizing where needs are. And so we, we hope that no one feels neglected if they're in that kind of place. Our, our hope is that you would recognize that we, we do look out and try to care for those in our church, but we also need to look beyond that because this local church is a part of the universal church all around the world. And so my hope is that we, that we pray for those and, and we recognize the mission field God has us in. So for First Family, that's Antioch, but it could be that you go to work and realize that's my mission field. That's where I need to share the gospel. And I hope that you're able to in your job because I know there's certain jobs where you could get in a lot of trouble for, for talking about that. But ultimately, I hope that we would realize that God wants to work through us and, and in spite of us in a lot of cases, there's plenty of weaknesses that we have um, that God can still use us and that we can be blessed to be a part of what he is doing in the church. Let's go ahead and pray. God, we thank you for how you love us, for how you allow us to be a part of what you're doing, not just in Antioch, but all over the world. I pray that as we go out today that we would be challenged. We'd think, what is it that you're calling us to specifically? And obviously as a church, I, I would hope that we're unified in, in those ministries and, and feeling called to help there. But, but God, I know there's, there's things you ask every person who's a believer to do. I pray that you would give us the courage that if there's people who don't feel confident in sharing the gospel, that, that you would help them in that, that you would help them to overcome that, to study your word, to, to practice, because it, it does take practice, just like anything, to get good at it. And God, I just thank you for your word where we can learn more about you, that, that we can learn how to better show people your love and, and who you are. God, I pray that you'd be with the men at this retreat, that you'd help them to come back safely, help them to come back wanting to know you even more. We ask this in your name. Amen.